morning, everyone. Welcome to Colossae Sherwood's sermon for this week. Uh, obviously, the sermon is coming to you digitally only in an effort to help protect not just one another, but also we realize that on Sundays we meet at a senior center and uh, we want to protect those in our community that are the most vulnerable um, to this corona uh, outbreak. So uh, we've asked to gather around, the communities to gather around the city and meet in homes um, in smaller units um, and worship together and watch a sermon so we can continue on with our Acts series. So that's what we get to do today. So go ahead and grab your Bibles with me and we're going to pick up the story in Acts 13. And if you remember from last week, we kind of did a massive chunk where we did all of Acts 12 at once. And I actually want to read the last couple of verses of Acts 12 because we were going and reading through Paul's story. Then we kind of have taken a break from Paul. Uh, but then two weeks ago, uh, Rick taught on Antioch and what was going on with the church in Antioch. And they were listening to the Spirit, and someone had a word of prophecy that there was a famine that was going to sweep across the land. And so then what happened is they sent Paul and Barnabas down to Jerusalem with aid for, for Jerusalem from the church in Antioch. And so if we look at the end of chapter 12, which we covered last week, the very last verse uh, says this, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So the text for today is we pick up the story back again in Antioch. And this time it's Paul is there, Barnabas is there, and they've just brought John Mark, whose mom Mary was the lady hosting the prayer meeting uh, where Peter came and explained that he would escape prison. So that's where we're picking up the story. So I'm going to go ahead and read the text for today, starting in verse 1 of chapter 13. And we'll pray, then we'll get to it. Okay, here we go. Acts 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out in the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he had seen what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much um, for your word, for your text, for the story, and just ask, even now as we're scattered all over this city, Lord, that um, 
together we would hear from you. We would be encouraged by gathering of smaller groups and that um, we would be an unanxious presence in an anxious time because of your spirit with us. Lord, help us to hear from you in a, in a mighty way this morning. We, just, we love you so much. Amen. Okay, so let's dive into the text. So they're in Antioch. Now, um, I want to remind you, I don't want to beat it, belabor it too much since this is what Rick talked about last time he preached, but Antioch is a massive metropolis. It's a huge trade center. It's a multicultural city. There's people that come from all kind of uh, directions um, that, that live there, that come through there in passing. We actually see all this reflected in the leadership of the church. I want to look at this first uh, this first verse, it names just a bunch of people from all over the Roman world. And these are the prophets and teachers. Remember, that was another thing that Rick talked about, was the leadership that was at the church in Antioch, the type of leadership, and how we today uh, look after and have that same type of leadership in our churches here in America, and how we model uh, our churches based off of the early church and how they did things. So they had prophets and teachers, Barnabas, who is from an island called Cyprus in the Mediterranean. We'll throw up a map of Cyprus in a little bit and talk about it. That's where most of the story today takes place. Simeon, who is called Niger. Niger is a Latin word for black or dark. And so he's probably from somewhere in the continent of Africa. We don't know where, but we know that the gospel had spread down into Africa by this point. And again, Antioch is a trade city, and so it had reached as far as Africa. The next guy, Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is a port city in North Africa in modern-day Libya. So he's coming from far west and south all the way up into Antioch. Manian is a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch, um, so this is the Herod that Jesus went before. This is the Herod that sent Jesus before Pilate. And now I know we talked about um, Herod... Uh, Herod Agrippa I last week, uh, who died. So this <laughs> Herod Antipa, he is Herod uh, Agrippa's uncle, or Herod the Tetrarch, okay? So there's three Herods. There's the Herod who tried to kill Jesus, that's Herod the Great, okay? This Herod, who's uh, Menin is a lifelong friend of his, was one of the sons of Herod the Great, okay? But not the father of Herod Agrippa, who died last week, okay? So there's three generations of Herod. There's a grandfather who has a couple son, couple kids here and a grandson and this uncle of the grandson. So we're talking about someone who grew up somehow in the court with uh, the Herod that judged Jesus, which is really fascinating. The, the word in Greek there is kind of like he's a foster brother of kind or somehow grew up in the court with him, which is fascinating just to see the far reach of the gospel. Okay, so then uh, there's Menian, who's the friend of Herod the Tetrarch. And there's Saul, who's, of course, from Tarsus, which is actually probably the closest to Antioch out of all of these leaders. And what I love about that is I think that no matter what, the church should reflect the community that it's a part of. I, I like to say that the people that are in your church uh, should reflect the same type of people that are in Safeway or in Costco. The, the community, the local community should be represented, not just in the church, but in the leadership of the church. And that's what we're seeing here in Antioch. So... Let's keep reading. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. 
I just went and briefly, verse four. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, dot, dot, dot. Look at, look at this, verse two. While they're worshiping Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. And then just a few verses later, it says sent out by the Holy Spirit. This is such a good reminder that the main actor, the main character in the book of Acts is God. He's moving through his spirit, through his church into the world to make what he's trying to accomplish in the world happen. And this is such a good reminder for us as the church about how we interact with God. We pray, we fast, we listen. And look what happens after they hear from the Holy Spirit that says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the which to which I have called them. Verse three, then after fasting and praying, so they hear a word from God, then they test it, they pray some more, they listen some more to make sure they confirm this is the word of God. And then they, then they act on the word of God. And I think that's exactly what we do today. If you think about how the church, how Colossae, how even Colossae Sherwood came about. There's, you know, we think about Francis Chan sending Chuck, right? Laying on hands, praying for, blessing, sending him off. Chuck starts Tiger Colossae, then lays hands on, prays for Justin Peterson, sends Justin Peterson out. He plants a congregation. Same thing with Bucky, laying on hands, praying for, sending out, etc., etc. We listen to the Holy Spirit, then we confirm what the Holy Spirit says through prayer, through fasting, and then we go and do what the Holy Spirit says. And I think this is really important for us because we spend a lot of effort, that's a lot of time and effort doing lots of different things in our life, but it's what is the Holy Spirit doing? That's the question we have to be asking ourselves. It kind of reminds me of Psalm 127. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor build it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early or go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his sleep to the beloved. See, as the people of God, we have to be so diligent in listening. Are we hearing from the Spirit in our lives? Are we not just hearing from the Spirit? Are we making space in our lives to hear from the Spirit? Are we doing what they were doing, the early church leaders? Are we setting time aside to pray, to fast, to listen? And I know a lot of you are fasting during this Lenten season right now, which is an amazing way to get that hunger pain or that itch to do whatever you've given up and think, Holy Spirit, what do you want to speak to me now in this moment? Okay, so the Holy Spirit's the main character. Let's see what happens. Verse four. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they were drawn down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Barjesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Okay, so I want to paint a picture of this missionary journey. Uh, if, uh, if you want to look at this map, uh, what they did is they traveled from Antioch all the way down, oh, all the way down, it's right there. Uh, they traveled down to Seleucia, which is basically like the port city for Antioch. And from there, they set sail to Cyprus. And you can see on the island, on the far eastern side is this, um, is this city called Salamis, and that's where they started out. And we don't really know. We know that it was a Greek colony, or it was founded by a Greek uh, colony, but we don't know exactly how big it was. We do know that it was big enough at least to have a synagogue or two that uh, they could preach at. And then um, they go on from there, and they preach their way across the whole island all the way over um, to the city Paphos. 
And just for just for a little bit of history on Cyprus, it's a very Hellenized island. It had been taken over by the Romans about a hundred years prior, and it's roughly the size of Puerto Rico. So it's pretty. I mean, it's a pretty hefty chunk of land. And the Romans had a proconsul over it, a governor who oversaw everything on the island. Now, this is very. We see a few things that are very typical. This is the first of Paul's missionary journeys, and it total is takes about a year and a half. And we're going to spend the next three weeks, including today, covering this missionary journey as he travels from Antioch over to Cyprus, back up to Asia Minor, and spends some time in there, and then comes back all the way to Antioch to report on the missionary journey. And we see a few things that happen in this very first step of the missionary journey uh, that are really common today, too. So one is they went to somewhere familiar. Barnabas is from Cyprus. So when the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul— He's saying, hey, you know, the leaders that have been with you guys for a while, well, I want to send them out on a missionary journey. And so they go to somewhere really familiar to Barnabas, and they start there, and they do something that's really common later. Well, two things that are really common that they do throughout the rest of the missionary journey is they go in pairs, that's really important, and they start with the synagogue. And it's really neat that they start with the synagogues because they're what they're doing is they're going to the Jews who believe in uh, the, the scriptures, the Old Testament, and they, and they say, hey, according to the scriptures, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the, the Messiah. And this is actually one of the reasons I love having conversations with Jews who don't yet follow Jesus or even with Mormons or uh, Muslims because they all believe, to a degree anyways, that our scriptures are inspired. And so that means it's a great starting place to start having conversations with people who don't yet know Jesus and show how the entirety of the scriptures point to Jesus and how he is the hope of the world and he's our salvation. So they preach their way all the way and they make it to Paphos. And Paphos is the seat of the provincial government there on the southwest coast of Cyprus. Um, And that's where they come across the proconsul and they come across one of his court magicians. Okay, And there's this guy, uh, his name is Bar-Jesus or Elismas. And uh, Bar-Jesus is just a Greek transliteration of the Aramaic name, which just means son of Joshua. Um, and so that's what that's who this guy is. He's not trying to be like Jesus in any way, uh, but that was just the, the Greek transliteration of the Aramaic. So this guy, Sergius Paulus, is a proconsul. He's a governor of the region, and it says uh, that he's a man of intelligence. Okay, this is in verse 7. And he hears about Barnabas and Saul, and who knows how long it took them to get Um, from one end of the island to the other, preaching their way across it. But he hears about these guys preaching this good news. And he's a man of intelligence. He's a man of curiosity. He wants to know more. So he invites them, hey, come on up, come to my court, and share this message with me. And so they do. But Bar-Jesus is there. And we can see what happens. Verse 8, but Elimus, the magician, so this is the same guy, Bar-Jesus, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So he sees what they're doing. And he says, no, I'm going to block this. I don't believe in this. Okay. Now, um, there's something that's, uh, I just want to do a quick side note here in verse nine. Uh, This is the moment where Acts, Luke, stops referring to Paul as Saul and starts referring to him as Paul for the rest of the book. There's actually only two more times where he's mentioned as Saul. And that's where he's standing in front of a governor or king. And he's giving his history and he's talking about how I, Saul, used to persecute the Christians, right? And he's just retelling the story of his conversion. 
Now, Saul is his Hebrew name, and Paul would be his Greek name, or maybe even his Roman citizen name. And so this kind of marks a turning point where Paul's emphasis shifts from just the Jews to saying, hey, let's actually turn towards the Gentiles. And this becomes a, just an ingrained part of his identity. So that was just for free. That's verse 9. It's a turning point in the book for Paul. So verse 9, but Saul, who is also called Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit and looked intently at him, looked intently at Bar-Jesus and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the paths of the Lord? And and he's he's doing something. He, he these are some like massive charges against this guy. He calls him the son of the, the son of the devil, an enemy of righteousness. Like these are some pretty heavy charges. And these words and these verses actually make me think there's a lot more going on here than initially meets the eye. Um, he's a magician. He's called that multiple times in the passage. And if you look at other ancient texts outside of the Bible from the area talking about magicians, they would often have incantations or spells or magic objects. And what they would do is they would call upon the names of local gods, lowercase g, gods, demons, right? And seek their help and seek their power to do various things. Think about the magicians um, that were in Pharaoh's court. You know, the, the ones that, you know, they, they had their own tricks that they were doing do, through demonic power. And so we see this guy that somehow is in league with the demonic. And then on top of that, Paul calls him the son of, son of the devil. Like, he, there's something deeper going on here. And it, to me, it, it, it reflects that this is a confrontation with Paul and uh, the demonic. And you can see how it says, verse 9, But Saul, who's also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. And what I love about this is that Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, confronts the demonic, confronts disorder in this world, and there's a really cool effect. Uh, he says immediately, so he curses him, he says, and now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You will be blind and be unable to see the sun for a period of time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So, Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, confronts the demonic, okay? God moves, makes this guy blind, he leaves, and because of all of this, the preaching of the word, and because of the action, the proconsul, the, the governor of the province, believes. It's a really cool narrative. But what's interesting about it is that it reminds me particularly of Jesus right when his ministry is beginning. We think about Jesus and him ushering in the kingdom of God, and the question is, if Jesus was bringing in a kingdom, which he was, then what kingdom is he usurping? Whose kingdom is he coming in against? And I think in this case, and if we look back um, at some passages in Luke 4, which we will, I think it's pretty clear that he's coming against the kingdom of the enemy, the kingdom of Satan. Okay, And there's some really powerful clashes right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, if you look at Luke 4, verse 1, here, I'm going to turn there really quickly. If you want to turn there with me, feel free. We're going to kind of do, uh, we're going to kind of do a best of Luke 4 uh, here, just because it's going to be really helpful for us uh, to kind of help understand what's going on with Paul. So this is uh, Luke 4, verse 1. Uh, this is right after John the Baptist prepares the way, okay? Verse four, or chapter four, verse one. And Jesus, 
full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Fascinating. You have Jesus. He's starting his earthly ministry before he does. He's full of the Holy Spirit and he's led by the Holy Spirit to go to the desert and be tempted by the devil to confront and engage with the demonic. Okay. And then we're going to skip that narrative and we're going to go all the way down to the end of it to chapter four, verse 14 says, and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and a report about him went throughout all the surrounding countryside and he taught in their synagogues. So it's interesting. He goes in by the spirit, confronts the devil, confronts the enemy and comes out full of the power of the spirit. Then look at verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he read, he went to the synagogue on Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now listen, this is what he's prophesying over himself. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Man, this is powerful stuff. You're seeing Jesus claim the spirit of the Lord is on me to do this, to proclaim liberty, to set captives free, to do all these things that the spirit is now leading me to do. And then look at verse 31. Well, actually, uh, this is 31 through 37, right? He's down in Capernaum and he's teaching on the Sabbath and they're astonished at his teaching. And then in the synagogue, there's a man who's, who's demon possessed and Jesus casts out the demon from this guy. Okay. And it's just, and then you look after that, uh, he goes to Simon's house and anyone who was sick with various diseases, they brought him to him. And verse 41, and demons came out of many crying, you are the son of God. And he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Man, it's just, it's just incredible to me to see that that's just one chapter of the beginning of Jesus ministry. And it's so clear what's going on that Jesus has received a call from the Lord. He's, he's got his messianic calling and he's going and he's doing it, but he's doing it empowered by the spirit. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's casting out demons. He's confronting the demonic. He's confronting disorder and chaos in this world through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we turn back to Acts. And what do we see in verse nine? Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at Bar-Jesus and said, you son of the devil. And then all of this happens. And the proconsul's response is that he believes. The governor believes. Even though one of his members of his court has been blinded, he sees what happens and he believes. He gets faith because of what happened. And so, uh, he, we now get to do the same thing. We get to see the power of deed, the power of confronting evil, led by the Spirit, and teaching the Word, lead people to faith in Jesus. That's what we get to do. I mean, it's, it's word and deed, word and deed, the, the marriage of the two, of sharing the good news of the gospel, and living out the good news, and loving and serving our broader community around us, leads people to salvation. Because they see the good news of Jesus. They see the hope that we have, the hope that we have in something real, in something tangible, in something that makes a difference in this world today. 
And what an opportunity we have right now. There's so much fear and so much anxiety in the world. And this is a chance for us to come and say, here is the reason for the hope that we have. It, yeah, we, we can't place our hope in the stock market. We can't place our hope in everything working out. We have hope in something that's eternal. We have hope in something that is beyond the current chaos of the day. We have hope that will last. We have peace that surpasses understanding. And we take this good news that Jesus is king and he will one day rule in such a way that every tear will be wiped away. And there will be peace that will be shalom on the earth. And we look to that day and we say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth now, today, as it is in heaven. And so I, I kind of want to keep this short as we're, as we're working from home, as we're, as we're washing our hands, as we're practicing social distancing, as we're doing all these things in this, in this time. I want us to remember Yahweh is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. He poured out his spirit on us. And now we, just like Jesus was, are full of the Holy Spirit. And we can listen to the Spirit and say, where are you leading us today? Where can we go? Who can we serve? What are you showing us to do now? And we hear from the Holy Spirit. We pray. We listen. We discern. And then we go and do it. And like happens, happened time and time again in Acts, through healing, through miracle, through teaching the word, people turn and believe. And that's our heart for the city. That's our heart for Sherwood, for Tualatin, for Newburgh, for Wilsonville, that these places we live would be places where Yahweh is exalted in our hearts and where we have eternal, lasting, real peace. So that's the message for the day. Thank you so much for watching and be sure to have a conversation with your community. What are some ways that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you? What are some things you've even probably been hearing even before this message? And then what are you guys going to do about what the Holy Spirit is leading and how he's showing you what to do? Okay. Thank you so much for watching. Shalom.